0: And I told my mom that I had had written my first sex scene and that it was very difficult for me to write it. And she said, oh, I'm, I'm sure that it really was difficult because, you know, you're putting your life on the page. And I was like, what? People write about going to the moon when they've never visited the moon. Right. And that is like one of my favorite things to say when people are like, oh, you write, you know, you write those kinds of books. I'm like, yes. And let me remind you that I could write about the moon without visiting the moon.
1: Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on! Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm Al Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, <laughs> see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Hello friends, and welcome back to the Steam Scenes podcast. Today I'm joined by Jenna Sutton. Jenna is a former award-winning journalist who traded facts for fiction when she began writing novels, surprisingly. Or maybe not surprisingly, the research she conducted for her articles provided a lot of inspiration for her books. Uh, Jenna Jenna is the author of the Riley O'Brien & Co. Romances and the Trinity Distillery series, as well as the best-selling novella duet Royal Mess. Her books are available in print, digital, and audiobooks from all major book retailers, and they can also be found on the Radish app. Although Jenna calls Texas home more often than not, she's somewhere else. Her loves job, takes them all over the country, and she tags along just like a groupie follows her favorite band. Jenna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm kind of
0: curious. Where are you right now? I am in Texas right now because of COVID.
1: Oh, of course. We're all stuck somewhere.
0: Yes. (laughs) In fact, um, two days before I was scheduled to be in Pennsylvania for my husband's new project, We got the news that all the offices uh, internationally had been closed. And so I'm actually able to live in my house for the first time in about seven years.
1: That's kind of wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you go back periodically throughout the year as you're moving around or or are you just gone from your house? I go back periodically. So it's usually like I'm six
0: months away and then like a month home and then six months away. Um, So, yeah, that's... um, that's been my life. So most recently I was in Nashville for three and a half years. And before that I was actually in Kentucky. And before that I was in, um, Colorado. And before that, I mean, you just keep going right before that.
1: So how long have you been sort of living on the road?
0: Well, we live in corporate housing whenever we go somewhere. So we usually will have an apartment or a condo or something like that. So, um, long I mean it's been for about nine or ten years wow mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. wow so I kind of joke that my husband is like a mercenary right he takes the highest paying projects <laughs> wherever they are <laughs> and I just kind of go along with them so well, and we, we have that flexibility to to do that because as a writer you know I can write anywhere I mean if it's a I can write in a coffee shop I could write on a train I mean I, Ideally, you know, I, I have a place to write other than a coffee shop or a train, but, um, yeah, I can
1: write anywhere. Well, yeah. I mean, sort of like have laptop will travel. I I, like, that's kind of, that's really actually pretty cool.
0: It is cool. And it's, um, You know, being in Nashville and also being in Kentucky helped a lot with the research that I did for the Trinity Distillery series. So it really put me in that part of the country where I felt surrounded by whiskey
1: and bourbon and, you know, just liquor in general. (laughs) <laughs> so I want to sort of like, you know, backtrack sort of at the beginning of your career. When did you realize you wanted to be a writer? You were a journalist and, uh, and what made you decide you wanted to make that transition to fiction? Well, I have been a romance
0: reader since a very early age, like a preteen. I mean, I really read romance much earlier than I should have. My mom should have paid way more attention to what I was reading. And um, and I just loved romance and I was never embarrassed of it or ashamed of it. And I never received any judgment about being a romance reader. In fact, it was kind of a given that it, you know, at, at any moment, someone could look in my purse and find a couple of romance novel paperbacks. Right. It kind of became this joke in school and with my friends. But the more I read and the older that I got and the more established I was as a journalist, I started reading books and thinking to myself, you know, I could write I could write a book better than this. I could write a better book. And I started saying it out loud, you know, I could write a better book than this. And everyone around me, my friends, my family, my husband were really supportive. You should absolutely do that. You you definitely could. And then I said it so often it went from you should definitely do that. You can absolutely do that to stop saying that if you're not going to do it. Ooh. And so I decided that I was going to try to write a romance novel. And it was really, you know, I think back on this and I think back on the absolute hubris that I had whenever I was reading other novels and saying I could write a better book than this or I could do this because it is difficult to write a book and it's difficult to write a good book. And I really just did not give any of the authors or the books that I read the respect that they deserved. I think until I became a novelist
1: myself I think it's funny I think I think a good sort of the good romance books almost feel effortless and they're you know you can't you can't sort of see the I don't know, the, 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 it's, uh, well, I, I come from a background of like per visual uh, performing arts. So you, you, I always say like a, you can never tell, like the stamp of a good director is you can never tell there was a director in the room. And that's kind of how I feel with, um, with, with, with romance books. Sometimes they're just so effortless. It feels like, well, I could do that. You know, right.
0: I mean, and it's just, I mean, I think back on the part of me saying that, and I really, if I could go back, I'd probably slap myself. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what are you thinking? Like, you know, have some sense. But um, now that I've written a few books, I have a greater respect for the process. And I also have a great respect for the idea that uh, uh, authors have a lot, have different, a, a lot of different processes. You know, they're, they're we don't all have the same way of approaching um, how to write a book and really the the only thing that kind of is the end result right there's a book that exists <laughs> right.
1: so uh, it, what do you know since you were reading romance at a very young age do, uh, I'm very curious because I always ask this um, of other romance writers do, do you remember the first romance novel you ever read do you remember what the first one was I'm so I started out reading the
0: sunfire novels. I don't know if you remember, but they were all named after the main heroine. So it was like Charlotte or Veronica or Susanna and they were, they were age appropriate. Right. So my mom was paying attention then. (laughs) (laughs) And so those were, but those were definitely like, you know, those were romance. They were clean romance and very, um, They always involved a love triangle. But the first real romance that I read was actually a Harlequin Presents. My aunt received a shipment of Harlequin Presents novels to her house every month. And I had gone to visit her and I had walked into her library and it was just wall after wall of these, you know, Harlequin Presents, these, you know, somewhat skinny, white, uh, white covered novels and i don't remember the title of the book that i first the first adult romance novel but i remember the gist of it it was um it was an innocent young woman a beautiful blonde bombshell who was um swept off her feet by a ravaging chic who just you know couldn't control himself around her because she was so (laughs) luscious And, um, and I remember very vividly that they had, you know, that, she was very shy and he was very manly and alpha Mm -hmm. and um sex was you know kind of new to her I'm sure she was a virgin right
1: probably yeah
0: but I remember that she took it upon herself to seduce him because he had abandoned her bedroom because he felt unwanted and the way that she decided to seduce him was that she put lipstick like rouged her nipples with lipstick and and wore this this um Kind of like a caftan that was like somewhat transparent so he could see her lipsticked nipples through it oh my god so that's she, actually so fabulous she, so she could tempt him beyond belief and he could just like ravage her right so i remember reading that and i i i was probably 12 or 13 and that seems 12 or 13 might seem like an age where people should think about putting lipstick on their nipples, but I didn't. (laughs) I don't think I did either. (laughs) So, um, and I'm not sure that I would advocate a 12 or 13 year old do that now. (laughs) Anyways, but that's the first book that I read and I have to say, and I never looked back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a really wild book. Actually, that's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: mean, it was just so... Intensely sexual to me at the time. I was like, wow. If anybody okay.
1: knows what this book is, please, please. reach out and tell <laughs> Yes, <us.">
0: please <laughs> tell me because I am dying to know.
1: Like we need a title. We need a title yes. on this book, you know. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, some and some it's so funny how some some books just don't age well. And I suspect that might be one of them.
0: <laughs> I think that it probably aged horribly, right? But what I remember was that he was a very Domineering and but obviously, you know, she had some courage, right? If she was yeah. going the route of like lipsticking her nipples,
1: right? Absolutely. I mean, that's I don't know, I think that's pretty ballsy, frankly. I um,
0: do, you, too. I think it's bold and and you know, um, audacious, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. I actually love it, and I'm sort of sitting here going, Maybe I'll try that sometime because <laughs> it just seems so ridiculously awesome. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was a purposeful seduction, right? And I think that, you know, for all that we say that um, maybe it didn't age well, I mean, the idea of a woman taking control of her own sexuality and being the aggressor or the pursuer is actually a very, you know, is something that would be trendy now you know right to take matters into your own hands
1: absolutely absolutely so what so what ended up sort of like drawing you to the genre in in general was it the the happily ever afters was it you know like what do you think it was about romance that you were like yeah this is this is what I read and this is what I enjoy reading
0: I do think it's the happily ever after I think that I don't like to invest and care about characters and have bad things happen to them yeah that's actually i feel that's a breach of trust uh for an author and it and i've read other genres obviously i mean i've psychological thrillers mysteries um i've read women's fiction what's interesting is that when my when my husband and i you know often when we're going to a new project we are Driving right because we were taking our car and taking a, a load of stuff, and he's very. We listen to audiobooks while we're on the road, and I remember very vivid. He listens to romance novels with me on the road, and some of them are romantic suspense, some of them are straight romance. But one year, I decided that we were going to try a straight, just women, you know, women's fiction. Okay, and we were listening to it, and the book finished in a way that both of us found to be really un you know unsatisfying okay I'm not gonna gonna name this book or tell you anything else about it except for that my husband said don't ever make me listen to another book like that (laughs) (laughs) so like I even have given my husband this you know that trained him to expect the happily ever after and so I do think that that's part of it but again I think it comes down to I don't want to invest in characters and really care about them and and want good things to happen to them and then just be devastated when when bad things, uh, when things end up bad. Yeah. And that is kind of the that's the foundation of a of a romance novel. Right. I mean, like you don't know, you don't know what the journey is going to be, but you know
1: what the end will be. Right. Right. You're not going to have your the person that you've just spent how many hours with, they're not going to end up dead at the end of the book, which I like it's always such a bummer, like with a movie or a book when like that main character, they like, you know, they just kill it, kill her right off. I mean, and I
0: like I mean, I guess betrayal is a very strong word because, I mean, obviously authors write in different genres where there is an expectation of something happening to the character and you don't know. And there are a lot of readers who love that thrill i personally find it to be just gut-wrenchingly awful <laughs> yeah i'm with you there i'm with you so, there. so yeah. it's, it's a very natural t- that i decided to write romance um i'm not a particularly romantic person though i mean romance for me is
1: that.
0: isn't you know necessarily getting flowers or getting yeah. roses or you know being you know having a a huge spectacular kind of display. I mean, romance to me is, is very grounded in reality for the way that someone treats me and the way that someone cares about my feelings. And so I do think that my books have both an element of fantasy and, and romance of what people would consider to be that classic definition. But I do think that some of the I hope so, at least, that a lot of the actions and the feelings between the main characters are grounded in a practical reality of where people could say, you know, I'd really like my significant other to do that for me or to think about my
1: feelings that way. I love that you said that. Cause I mean, it's like a big joke between me and my husband where he's like, you are the most unromantic romance writer, like on the planet. Cause yeah. you know, he's like, what do you want for Valentine's day? I'm like, Oh, you can shove Valentine's day up your ass. Like, no, I don't do Valentine's right. day. Like I right. don't, you know, and like, if I don't, if I don't know you love me 364 days of the year, like Valentine's day ain't gonna fix it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so right. Right. We I mean, do anything like we do nothing that is mm-hmm. quote unquote romantic, you know? Um, and and I don't think that, you know, flowers and candy and whatever the trappings are necessarily make for a great romance or relationship. I mean, I completely
0: agree. I mean, like for my birthday, so I really love Korean dramas, Korean TVs, whether it's mm. TV, whether it's, you know, romantic yes. suspense or whether yeah. it's just rom-coms or whatever. So I'm really into Korean um, TV. And for my birthday, my husband bought me Rosetta Stone Korean Lessons in Korean. So I could learn That's Korea. so cool and it was the most thoughtful, most unique, interesting gift. And it just really kind of shined a it really shined the light on the fact that he, you know, and I'm not reading too much into this because he bought me something that he knew I would like, not something right. he wanted to get me. He right. bought me something that I really enjoy something that has really you know kind of given me a a, um something to do during quarantine and lockdown really get into you know korean tv (laughs) and i just thought it was the best gift and it really for me was a reflection of that he cares about my feelings cares about what's important to me wants to do things to make me happy and that's that was for my birthday but you know if my birthday had not been coming up i'm so um Yeah, I mean, so as far as romance, I, you know, whenever I was growing up and I read all these romance novels, my dad would say to me, I'm worried that you're never going to find a man because you're going to have unrealistic expectations of relationships because of these romance novels that you're reading. Wow. My dad actually said that kind of, and I didn't have a boyfriend all through high school, actually didn't have a boyfriend until college. And that doesn't mean I didn't like boys. Right. But I just didn't have a boyfriend. He should have been happy that I had unrealistic expectations of men if that's what he thought. But I remember telling him, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect a happy ending to expect that the person you're with will treat you well and mm-hmm. and think that and adore you and think you're amazing yeah. and whenever i talked to him about that my dad was like well of course the person you're gonna be with is gonna adore you and think you're amazing you right that's the kind of affirmation my dad gave me but whenever i explained it that way he 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 agreed and then once he met my husband he kind of pulled me to the side and he said he's a romance novel hero isn't he oh! <laughs> I love that. That's really
1: sweet. And I love that your dad was able to recognize that sort of right away.
0: Yes. Well, so my husband and my father had nothing in common except for me. And yet they adored each other, like, you know, peas and carrots, peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they adored each other. And so, um, and I think part of what, you know, I think at some point, my dad likes, like my husband more than me. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> so um, so that's kind of my, that's my, you know, my journey to writing romance and just being, a, I mean, a, an advocate for the romance industry and for what these, you know, books stand for. And, you know, I know a lot of other authors have received a lot of judgment for writing romance, or they've had, you know, a lot of snobbery from other, you know, from readers or or who read other genres. That's actually never happened to me. So I guess I just, I mean, maybe I'm lucky in the people I've run into, or I'm lucky that the people around me are, you know, open-minded. I'm not sure, but I I know that that the industry does get some dings about, you know, whether it's, real literature or the role that it plays in in society or what kind of messages it sends to women. I mean, I, I know that there are a lot of those deep discussions, but I have not actually been involved in any of that. I haven't had to defend my
1: choices, I think is what I'm saying. Right. Right. Which is, I mean, frankly, wonderful. And, you know, my feeling is there are so many I don't know. It's sort of a f- like uh, when, when people ding the romance uh, novels and then that sort of like, is this, is this good for, for women to read? That smacks of a certain paternalism, I think, and a certain misogyny because who, the, you know, who are you to tell us what we can and can't enjoy? And I'm, I'm, I completely
0: agree. And really, if I want to read, I mean, I should be able to read whatever I want. And I don't, yeah. you, I don't need you to tell me if it's good for me or if it's bad for me. You know, that and that as an adult now again. Whenever yeah. I'm 12 or 13, maybe I shouldn't have been reading that. <laughs> some of those books, but um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm a, a very strong advocate of romance, and people ask me all the time, "Do I ever think that I'll write anything other than romance?" And my answer is, you know, I, I'm never say never, right? That's right. Um, but I just can't imagine writing something that doesn't have I can doesn't have romance in it because I turn everything into romance. (laughs) <laughs> like, I'm like, a, you know, I'll watch a TV or watch TV, a show or a movie or, you know, and I'll say, I don't know why they just didn't do this and it would have made it so much better. And then inevitably it's about making something, you know, a love, a love interest or making people fall in love. So, right. so I, I can't imagine ever kind of deviating from that now. Does that mean, you know, I, I do have interest in doing romantic suspense and, you know, maybe different, different kinds of, um, genres within the overarching romance genre but i'm just i'm never going to be pure thriller or you know women's fiction or you know right. uh, anything like that i just can't do it i mean i i don't want to
1: i struggle with the idea of keeping romance out of any sort of you know particularly when you're dealing with that sort of slice of life you know, or even like a spy thriller to that end, because of the, you know, I think to a certain degree, part of our lives is having that connection with somebody, um, you know, and that is simply a part of of life is is having that connection. We search for that connection. We look for that connection and um, and and we strive, so, you know, to a certain degree for, for that connection. And so to just completely leave it out of, of something, I don't know, to me, that never rings true. I think that that I feel that there's something lacking as
0: well and it might just come from my own feelings about you know seeking connection and 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 wanting to find a person who's always on your side or a person who yeah. you know um puts your feelings of, puts their you know your feelings at an equal level of theirs and I don't want to say puts your feelings above their own because I don't know that I consider that to be healthy But certainly someone who wants to be your equal and someone who wants to support you and, and your biggest fan, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's kind of a joke. You know, my husband thinks that I'm no matter where we go, that I'm the funniest, smartest, prettiest woman in the room. And like, kind of, I think to myself, I hope you never figure out I'm not. (laughs) Right. And it's, it's thrilling at the same time. It's kind of like, wow, like. Does he have just really bad taste in women? I mean, like what's <laughs> going on there? But um isn't it it's a it's a lovely feeling to think that there's someone out there who thinks yeah. that you you know, that they that they that they um they got the better part of the bargain, right? Yeah, they hit the jackpot. They right? hit the jackpot. Yeah. And I think everybody wants to feel that way. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love your
0: husband already.
1: <laughs>
0: I I also think he's fabulous.
1: Yeah, good. <laughs> so okay we're supposed to talk about steam so i'm kind of i want to know to you now i've um i'm i'm partway through uh uh, trinity uh partway through barreled over um i wanted to i'm i'm plowing through it for me i mean i've got a lot going on with this podcast and getting this podcast off the ground but it is such a fun book it is so good i am like really enjoying it and i'm and you write a hell of a steam scene, and I want to know like to you what makes it good like what makes a sex scene good so i mean i've I've actually thought a lot about this, right i mean i i
0: I'm glad that you're enjoying the book first of all, I should say that, and thank you for taking time to read it because I know you're you're busy so I think what makes a a steamy scene good is this feeling that you're that the characters just can't hold back anymore, that it's, that it's, they're overcome, that they can't, they can't not act on their feelings, whether it's the feelings are mostly driven physically or mostly driven emotionally. And, and that's something that, um, that I think about too the intersection of physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. So I think that they're different and obviously intertwined, but, Usually in my books, there's a very significant difference in the scenes where there's more physical intimacy, but not as much emotional. And then the shift where the emotional intimacy actually is stronger than the stronger than the physical attraction. But and because of that, it enhances the physical intimacy. So I think that layering together the physical intimacy with emotional intimacy is something I think about but the best scenes are just those where, you know, I feel that the characters are just fighting against themselves and they just give into it. They can't help themselves. And, um, you know, just the ones where the intensity is just too much. And there's, there is also, I really like the scenes where there's a part of the characters who have this surprise surprise, Ah. either where it's, Surprised that it's happening in the first place or surprised at where it's happening or surprised that the about what they're feeling or surprised that it's so good or surprised that that they've never experienced something like that before. So the element of surprise, but not in the sense of surprise in the word of, you know, like spontaneity, it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. that it's really just being surprised by the own. By their own feelings and what's happening and and what the experience itself is
1: that's really I actually love that um it's a bit of a bit of running part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because I struggle with writing my scenes and so I wanted I was like I want to talk to other writers about how they do their like you know I struggle it takes me you know, where, where it would take me an hour and a half to write a thousand words, it will take me all day to write a thousand words if I'm doing, like, an intimate scene. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like mm-hmm. I need to have a conversation with other writers about how to do this. <laughs> what do you find to be the...
0: What do you think makes it most challenging? Where do you feel like you get stuck? I'm
1: not sure. Okay. Um, I, think, I think part of it is to not be boring. I Like, I feel like this intense pressure to kind of not be boring... Um, And then I also think that it is probably because I was ultimately raised Catholic. And so it's like my own sort of like, oh, my God, this feels so awkward. Like, (laughs) like, you know, Um, you you
0: have the framework of somewhat of a somewhat. I guess, strict sexual thought process.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's about sort of like breaking down that barrier mm-hmm. that I have to, you know, and, and it's so funny, because in my real life, like, totally not like that, totally not Catholic, right. Mm-hmm. But knowing but when I sit down to process it through my writing, it sort of like up goes those, you know, those barriers kind of come up. And I'm like, Okay, now I've got to chip these away. And so and so it becomes it that I think definitely becomes a struggle when I'm writing them.
0: You know, people are very critical of sex scenes, though. I mean, there's so many things to criticize and to have uh, opinions about within True. a book, but it does seem that the sex scenes seem to get the most, um, the most, have a lot of the opinions and really get the most, I guess, the most, you know, cheers and jeers, you know? They don't get, they either get cheers or they get jeers. It's, it's never really, Oh, this person wrote an okay sex scene. It's either where someone is saying, Oh, well, this is a fabulous sex scene, or it's something where, um, it's so awful. It's just, you know, cheesy or embarrassing. And it's, there is an element of, you know, when you're writing of thinking to yourself, okay, where is this going to fall on the,
1: on the, the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're dealing with a bit of self censorship there. When we start wondering when that what, what's going to happen?
0: It is, you know, it's self censorship. And it's also, you know, you said something earlier about boring. I mean, it's it, what what because what is boring? Is it you know, using? Because is it using the is it using a bed because people have sex in beds? You know, is it using the same the same sexy words over and over? Is it using, you know, is it um, just that he put this, his hand here and she put her hand there and it's very mechanical. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, there's a lot to think about when you're writing a sex scene and, you know, um, I remember when I wrote my first sex scene and so I, good. Yeah, well, and I told, yeah, and I told my mom that I had, I had written my first sex scene and that it was very difficult for me to write it. And she said, Oh, I'm, I'm sure that it really was difficult because, you know, you're putting your life on the page. And I was like, what, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, you know, you're, you're writing from like, you know, experience. I'm like, mom, I'm like, stop now. Like I am not putting like my sex life on the page. Like this is my characters who are having sex, not me. And and I said, so don't even be thinking that when you're reading my pages as my beta reader. Well, first of all, mom, <laughs> and secondly, like people write about going to the moon when they've never visited the moon. Right. And that is like one of my favorite things to say when people are like, oh, you write, you know, you write those kinds of books. I'm like, yes. And let me remind you that I could write about the moon without visiting the moon.
1: Yes. Oh, I li- I'm stealing that. I'm stealing yeah. that when I get yeah. sort of like your husband's one lucky guy. You know, you're just like, no, seriously.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that happens to my husband all the time, and he's like, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how lucky I am. You know, he just leans into it. I mean, he I just leans that. into it, and he'll say things like, "Yeah, she loves football too." Oh, you know, like she's she's perfect.
1: (laughs) So when you did, so you said that writing the first one was difficult. What was difficult for you? So I think what was difficult for me, I,
0: I didn't have any, I didn't have any self-censorship. I wasn't concerned about that. And I, I, I had this ignorance really, when I wrote my first book about the level of judgment that readers can, can, kind of heap on you with reviews and, and things of that nature. I just, when I wrote my first book, I I wasn't even thinking about that, but what, what was difficult for me with a sex scene was actually the keeping track of body parts. Oh yeah. And making sure that, you know, he didn't have a hand on her boob. That's a very technical term, right? Boob, boob. And he didn't have a hand on her, but and also a hand on her face because then he would be three-handed <laughs> and uh, I'm like snorting because I'm just like yes let's this is not a sci-fi book where they have 14 arms so um so yeah I was just keeping track of the body parts and then also I so the and then the idea of like getting disrobed and making sure that things were accessible right mm. so um that was that was what made it difficult for me it wasn't the It wasn't envisioning how I wanted this scene to play out. It wasn't the physical or the emotional intimacy that I really wanted to come together. It wasn't the surprise aspect that I talked about earlier. Like I had all that in place, like I had that all those elements in place in my mind. And so I think that that helped and I was able to envision the way that I wanted the scene to play out. But then when you're actually writing it, like you do have to get from point A to point B, even if point B is like sex. Right. So it is, you know, getting from, you know, the front door to wherever you have sex or getting from fully clothed to totally naked if that's where you want to be. So um, that's what made it difficult for me. And that really hasn't changed. So it's still something that I have to think about. And it's still something that I go when I go back and I reread and I do revisions, like I find myself, oh, like she still had her underwear on. How did that happen? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, My first sex scene that I wrote was actually not in romance. It was in urban fantasy. Um, And when I finished it and I reread it, and I just was like, holy crap, this man's an octopus. Right. (laughs) Right. There are just too many to arms like the- arms. <laughs> and, and wow, like his lips were there and now
0: they're here. How did that happen? <laughs> it was
1: like way too many arms, way too many arms. And so, yeah, I think the choreography itself, just the, just the, just the choreography. That's, that's
0: the-, the word that I'm looking for. You're right. The choreography of it. And so I'll tell you a funny story about Trinity. So <clears throat> the first sex scene between my main characters, Ava Grace and Beck happens on a bourbon barrel. Oh yeah. Yeah. so um, I in in preparation or in doing research about bourbon distilling, my husband and I actually did the bourbon tour in Kentucky, so we visited. I think something like 10 different distilleries and we did all kinds of tours. We did behind the scenes tours where they did like the the chemistry of making bourbon all the way to like the distribution and visited, you know, the places where the barrels, barrels are stored. And I mean, I really wanted to get a very deep understanding of distilling because I felt like, you know, if I'm going to write a series about bourbon distilling, then I need to understand it. But at one of the distilleries that we went to, so I got this idea in my mind that I wanted my characters to have sex on a bourbon barrel. But I didn't know that, like, I didn't know if the height was right, given the height of my, my hero and the height of the barrel. So uh, my husband is almost six, he's almost six, four. Okay. So we're at a distillery and there are <laughs> there are barrels everywhere right there are barrels that they have barrels that are made into trash cans there are barrels just for decoration so i made my husband go up to a barrel and just to measure if the height would be appropriate and how it would work exactly and of course he's so good-natured but even he was like make sure no one's looking <laughs> <laughs> what? and so once i confirmed that in fact yes if my hero is about the same height then the bourbon barrel is the perfect height for what i have in mind then that kind of gave me you know the go ahead
1: right right
0: that's a pretty funny story and it's something that where i'm i think there was a there was kind of this exchange between me and my husband that went something like this you owe me forever (laughs) <laughs> yeah so um but yeah that that's uh, so the scene that um that I think is kind of the, one of the most fun sex scenes that I've written certainly one of the more unexpected sex scenes
1: yeah um I so that's the one we're going to talk about so this is actually a really great segue um because I kind of you know when when I was reading the opening of the scene and they're in the um the they're in the distillery and he sort of she's getting this tour and I'm like, there's there's a sex scene in here, you know? It's <laughs> like, well, this is gonna be it. like, where are they gonna do this? You know, it's a right. nice day, people are coming in and out, so I thought it was really, um, you know, very very clever and very very well done, um, and super fun because I was like, wow, like that sounds like a good time in a distillery,
0: on a right. you
1: know, on a bourbon barrel, you know, right, that's right. Really right,
0: cool. I was. Um, very, I did think that it was um, the logistics of it, and kind of setting the setting the mood and setting the stage for that was very important, right? To make it seem, um, to make it seem reasonable, right? Something that right. someone would actually be able to do, right? Or be willing to do, right? Right. That there and was. I have so much- read, I have read. I read a sex scene in a canoe once and I was like wow like that's that's interesting like I'm not sure I could do that without flipping that canoe over yeah
1: <laughs> that takes some talent right right there. <laughs>
0: and so I mean I do I have read a variety of, I mean a variety of sex scenes where either I thought the timing was just very bizarre like I'm not sure I could be st- sexy right now and think of sexy times or just the sheer discomfort of the situation might actually prevent me from wanting to to do anything right right
1: right um like i mean to me like like whenever i i read a scene where it's like people are having sex in water Mm -hmm. it makes me nuts because i think that is the most uncomfortable place to have sex
0: well and you know this might this might
1: out me as a germaphobe. But I when people are having sex in
0: lake water, I think of like amoebas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think to myself, like, wow, like, I know the vagina is supposed to be like a self cleaning oven, you know, if you ever read any articles about from like, OBGYNs that talk about, yeah. you know, you don't need to do anything special to like clean yeah. your vagina, because it's a self cleaning oven, it takes care of itself. And so I think about that. But I'm like, does it take care of itself against like amoeba lake water? I don't well, know.
1: Yeah. I mean, if they can go up our nose and infect our brains. Uh, I don't, yeah.
0: mm. Yes. To my point, which is why that I'm not into lake sex. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, the scene in barreled over the sex scene on the bourbon barrel really was one of those. So safe sex is something that I'm. I'm committed to in my books until my characters have a conversation about safe sex and both agree how they're going to proceed if they choose not to use condoms. So I had to think about how there would be, how, why there would be a condom in a rick house. A rick house is where all the barrels are stored and it didn't make sense that either of the characters would carry around condoms. The Ava Grace, the heroine, she doesn't have her purse with her. She's wearing a mini skirt. She's not the person she wouldn't carry around the condom. And then our hero, like I actually thought about this, like, is our hero the kind of person who carries condoms around with him? You know, I think at some point most men grow out of the carrying condoms in their wallet because mm-hmm. um, and there's actually a conversation that uh, that our hero has with another character about no he doesn't carry condoms with him he stopped doing that when he was in high school (laughs) so um, I had to think about how I could get a condom into this scene so I had to think about that and I had to think about you know the privacy element like how private would this rickhouse be for them to actually have sex and then I also had to this is a, this is at a point where neither one of neither one of the characters, they're not at the same place emotionally. Right. And so What would kind of get both of them to the point where they are having sex? And um, and especially the hero, because he's almost what I would consider to be like a reluctant hero. Right. And he's a very grumpy, reluctant kind of hero until she just wins them over with her just her awesomeness. So I had to think about all those things as I was putting this, you know, sex scene together. And um, it just really ended up, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. And I also think it was fun. And it does have that element of surprise, right? It's surprise yeah. of where you're having sex. It's surprise that it's happening. Both of them can't believe it's happening. It's surprise of how good it feels. It's It just has that surprise element. And it has the element that I was talking about earlier of the, the fact that, they just couldn't hold back any
1: longer. That intensity of like, they had to have each other in that exact moment. Well, it's funny, let me, I wanted to read the snippet. I highlighted the snippet because this sort of like hits right, right with what you're talking about um, right there. And I, I loved this moment, okay. Um, clenching the condom, she looked up at him, the lack of lighting made it difficult for her to read his expression, but she sensed he was as turned on as she was. He'd barely touched her, just his hands on her waist, yet her nipples were tight and pebbled under the stretchy lace of her bra, and the flesh between her legs was damp and throbbing. As they stood there, still silent, a long-ago conversation she'd had with a NASCAR champion flickered in her memory. He told her rookie drivers made the mistake of letting up on the gas when they were ahead. Experienced drivers did the opposite they didn't back off they pushed the gas pedal to the floor she wasn't going to make a rookie mistake by backing off she was going to push i loved that yeah I'm i loved that. that i loved that it was her initiative she took the wheel she yeah. and and i loved and i loved that it was that memory that sort of came in to drive her if you'll excuse me <laughs> <laughs> nice one <laughs> To drive her to that point right I like, thought oh, that was fantastic so Ava
0: Grace is a character so that's something else with the sex scenes that I keep in mind too are they true to character
1: mm-hmm. and
0: if they're not true to character at least acknowledge that they're not true to character So there's a point in that sex scene where she says she barely recognized herself because she was being so aggressive but she wanted him that badly and she'd never wanted anyone the way she wanted him so ava grace is a take charge kind of heroine like she you know in in classic terms and whether or not anybody considers this to be unfavorable or not but she's a ball buster right and one of my favorite heroines just someone who knows what she wants you know, stands up for herself and is clever in the way that she stands up for herself too. And so she did drive it. She was the person who pushed for, pushed into this first sex scene. And that's why I said earlier, like they, she and the hero Beck, they're in different places emotionally. She had accepted her, the way that she felt about him. He had not, he was still in the denial stage for a while. Um, so this, the overall scene, I think reflects that
1: disparity. Right, right, right. And then, but uh, you sort of did it again, um, they're sort of like right at the end. Um, I think I think this was at the yeah, this was sort of towards the end um, where she's she wanted to tell him how good he felt. She wanted to tell him that she'd never felt so full, so complete. But the pleasure, the relief of finally having him inside her had stolen her voice. And Ava Grace is a singer. Right. And so I loved that, you know, having that connection with him, that moment with him had actually stolen her voice, had taken it away from her for for like that, that brief moment. I was like, that sort of made me clutch my heart and go, oh. And when we think about it,
0: too, I mean, Ava Grace's way of communicating a lot of her feelings is through her voice right it's 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 the way that she communicates and with her fans it's the way she makes money it's her it's the way that she makes a living but it's also what she loves to do so i mean it it is the fact that so what we find throughout the course of this book is that beck is beck becomes the center of her universe right more important Mm -hmm. than than anything and It's a gradual thing that happens, obviously, as they fall in love and their relationship moves forward. But the impact that they have on each other, I mean, it's a very each sex scene. And this is something else that I keep in mind when I write my sex scenes. I mean, I obviously don't want them to be boring, like you had mentioned earlier. So I do try to mix up the positions that they're in or where they have sex. But I also want to there's something that I write with called the emotional continuum and so at every start of a chapter and an end of a chapter i think where is each character emotionally and then i want them to be in a different place at the end of that chapter right and so with the sex scenes i don't want the sex scenes to be in my book just for the sake of being there like i mean they're you know just for the sake of getting off.
1: <laughs> right. Like
0: I actually want them to accomplish something. I want them to be representative of something. I want them to move the relationship forward. I want them to serve as a way to learn something new about the characters, whether we're learning something as a reader or the characters are learning something about each other. So I'm I'm also keeping that in mind when I'm writing this the scenes as well and at the in the the first sex scene the scene on the bourbon barrel like what is very clear is that he is not ready for for her at all in any way yeah
1: and behaves
0: very badly yeah as a result of it like it's so shocking to him and so his reaction after they have sex is immediate regret and it's so visceral and it's again to that point it's surprising and it is like he almost like they can't help themselves in the way that they react and so it leaves you with this idea of like where do you go from here right yeah and so there's also the the idea that every you know in every every book you can't have um a sex scene where things are perfect or it immediately
1: means that things are going to be okay from that moment on Yeah. This, this moment and another highlight for me, that moment was like a real sort of shock, you know, um, not anticipating it, not expecting it because again, we have that sort of inter. we have, um, we have his internal conversation a bit and you know that there is something there, you know. Um he gets the condom from Alice, who is such a great sidekick character, by the way. <laughs> I um, want to talk um, about Ellis whenever you have a moment. I, have, I wanna we'll talk have, about Ellis yes, too. No. But, but
0: finish finish your thought and then we can talk about
1: Ellis. Um the this sort of moment, um I'm going to read it again, uh, bear okay. with me. Um Beck, this was that's that's Ava Grace. Beck, this was a huge fucking mistake that's what he says to her oh that, my is God. What he has, that is what he says to her She just had sex on the barrel on the barrel i and know Of orgasm and she <laughs> lost her voice and he <laughs> tells her it was a huge fucking mistake and then we yeah. go on this is good. his voice was so harsh she flinched involuntarily her head jerking back as if he'd slapped her a physical blow couldn't have hurt worse than those words than his words She cringed at the disgust she heard in his voice. The knot in her stomach pulled tighter and nausea crawled up her throat. He turned in a circle, his head tilted toward the ceiling. Fuck me. He glanced at her, his face contorted with loathing. I knew something like this would happen. I knew you'd fuck up my life somehow. Holy shit. That Mm -hmm. like, that slapped me too. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, like that's not very heroic, is it? Not at all. No, and I was and, like and that's and a- I, I, that's never happened to me. No one's ever had sex with me and told me that was <laughs> that I would fuck up their life.
1: Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. I don't know how I'd handle that. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Um he behaved badly and he knows it. Later, I mean, it doesn't take him long to really I mean, the moment the words come out of his mouth, he knows that he behaved badly. The difference is, is that he It doesn't change that that's how he feels. He just thinks he shouldn't have said it. So, again, in two very different places. And, you know, Ava Grace has an internal conversation later on in the book that, you know, she wasn't there by herself. He could have said no. And he and he agrees. He could have said no. But this gets to my point, like the intensity of someone's feeling within a sex scene. They just can't hold back no matter what. Right. even if they are gonna regret it later right and so yeah it, it it's meant to be shocking and it's meant to go from this like peak of like ultimate pleasure like best sex you've ever had so freaking amazing you're never gonna forget it to just an absolute like shit show right of an of a of of once you come down and the hurt that they inflict upon each other once once the good feelings end
1: Right. Because particularly because, you know, at the end of a sex scene, what usually happens is there is a moment, even if even if things go south later on, there's the moment after the after the coupling mm-hmm. that 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 they kind of bask in that glow. I hate right. that, you know, say that. But there is like but, that glow. You know, right. There's but in this particular
0: sex scene, there's no afterglow. There's no there's immediate and complete regret.
1: Yep, and it is like right there, and I was like, "That is so ballsy," and that felt so good. And I <laughs> thought it was ballsy of of Beck or of me, the author.
0: Of oh, you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, I I, I was determined to have it. I mean, I wanted it to go from like, you know, for the for the reader to be like, yes. Like they are getting some, like this is so hot. Like they've been dancing around this. And, and Ava Grace is, you know, an awesome heroine because she's really getting what she wants too. Yes, she got what she wanted. And this is what happens right after.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was really incredible. And it was funny cause- um, in the book that I'm writing, it, there is a moment where uh, that where I'm giving my characters after there is no po- postcoital glow. There's immediate regret there, and um, and and I was even I was like, ooh, I don't know. And now I'm like, oh, you're gonna kick that immediate regret up a little bit more, honey. Like, <laughs> I mean, like there, there's the I
0: there's I really leaned into it. Like, I mean, it, it to me in this scene that Beck was not ready for emotional intimacy or physical intimacy. He was not ready for it. And that's not to say that I feel like Ava Grace was in any way like forced him to do this. This is not what I'm talking about. This is where I'm talking about being in the moment, wanting something so badly and it overruling your reasoning, right? That's where I'm talking about. And that's what happens to Beck. And then there's once, once your reason comes back to you, once you're not driven by instinct or desire or, or your need, and then it comes back to you and you're just like, Ooh, that was, that was
1: a mistake. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is such a great, such a great scene, such an awesome scene, but yeah, let's talk about Ellis the side. Okay. Kid. Ellis gave back the condom and yes. Ellis is um an older gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> so Ellis, <laughs> so,
0: Every distillery has a master distiller, right? And they're usually people who are very seasoned, right? You aren't usually a master distiller if if you only have a couple years of distilling experience under your belt. So when I was doing these tours with my husband of the distilleries in Kentucky, like I ran, I, you know, talked with some of these master distillers. I mean, and and inevitably they're men, they're white men. Um, but there's there's actually a distillery or I think it's a whiskey distillery that because um, I just read about it recently. That's a black owned, a woman, a black owned distillery. And it the and It's several hundred years old. And, and so it's a it's a, a black owned distillery with a black master distiller. But in the ones that I the 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 prevailing master distillers are old and white, right? They're old white men. And so I wanted to create, I wanted to stay true to that in Trinity, having a master distiller and also give someone who could ground back in some of his history, right? So Ellis right. is that person and Ellis is an older gentleman, but what you'll fi- you're going to find this interesting because every time I tell someone this they're astounded by it. Ellis is actually modeled after my husband's grandfather.
1: Oh, I yeah. I I could kind of I could kind of see that he that you had a ma, there was somebody in mind there.
0: Yes. Yeah. My husband's grandfather. So all of the men in my husband's family are named Michael. So there's not much creativity, which is where the line of all, where all the men in Beck's family are named Jonah.
1: Yeah, and yes, where yes, ava, yes.
0: ava grace says that there's not a lot of creativity in your family <laughs> that's actually something that i said <laughs> um to my husband's family but grandpa mike was such a character and i think that ellis is a great sidekick character because he's a really he's a great juxtaposition of of the way that i think men have evolved right, right? you have beck And then you have ellis and you have two men at different stages of their life two you know different generations and the way that they think about women is very different and i think that's very obvious the way that they think about women being very different but that doesn't strip away the fundamental idea that they're still men and they still are are attracted to women and they still want to have sex with women (laughs) at least in this book and so ellis um is the person who gives Beck the condom Ellis is you know by Beck's words a poon hound he is um uh has an a a more active sex life than guys you know who are less than half of his age and this is my husband's grandfather (laughs) okay it is there are so many stories about Grandpa Mike my husband was 16 years old Grandpa Mike had come over to his house for dinner And my husband's girlfriend happened to walk in at the time. And my husband, by my, this is my husband's words, not mine. She was wearing a very skimpy dress because it was the summertime. And grandpa took, Mike took one look at her dress and how much it revealed, pulled my husband into the bedroom, into his guest bedroom, and shoved a handful of condoms into my husband's hand and then just left the room. (laughs) Oh, so he pulled a bunch of condoms from his, his, uh, his bag. And just, and at this time, Grandpa Mike had to have been in his late sixties. That's terrific.
1: I and love when, how Grandpa uh, Mike
0: was prepared for anything. He was prepared for anything. And he also was the most popular man in his, like, his um, 55 plus community. All the women brought him pie all the time. God, that's fantastic. But when I first met Grandpa Mike, So Grandpa Mike, whenever he shook my hand, his eyes were on my boobs and they they did not leave. And he was like, it is so nice to meet you. And then I saw him give my husband a look like, yeah, good job. (laughs) I mean, and it was, you know, and I was, I, I don't, you know, at the time, like, I think to myself, like, should I have been offended? Like, I wasn't offended. I actually found it kind of, I didn't find him to be offensive. I found him to be somewhat comical.
1: Right. And
0: um, not sleazy, just, you know, like overtly, like just, oh, just overtly sexual. And I told my husband at the time, you know, he was we weren't married yet, but I said, um, like your grandfather's kind of like a, you know, he's like a, he's, he was staring at my boobs and my husband was like, yeah, I hope I'm just like, him when I'm his age. <laughs> so um so yeah there was no there was no castigation on my husband's part of saying oh my grandfather definitely should not have objectified you that way <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I loved Ellis. I thought he was such a kick. I, I, he was just such a great character. And um, and like I, one of my favorite things about reading books is that, like one of my favorite characters are usually the sidekicks. Sometimes I love the sidekicks more than the main characters. And, and so I'm just kind of curious that you don't see a whole lot of them in romance. Um, but I think that there's a place for them. I think that that's true. So, I mean,
0: Ellis is um, so, you know, we have Trinity, which is, you know, owned by Three, three guys, three friends, Beck and and Wren and Gabe. And they're friends. And so they have com- you know, friends are important in every romance novel. So right. you know, you have that 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 the foil that you can um bounce ideas off of and like admit your true feelings, or they can give you love advice or whatever. And so, you know, Beck has that with his friends, but Ellis provides the comic relief for all of them. And Ellis is actually. And so will show up in all the Trinity books. And I think that he's this he's this um, unapologetically like lacking in political correctness, like throwback to another time. Just, you know, a person that I'm not sure in real life how easy it would be to how easy it would be to handle him. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the books, like he provides some some a foil to the, to the modern day hero. And he also provides some real truth, right? He puts ideas in Beck's head. He, he, um, and he has the sidekick also needs, you know, is, is there because they're going to illuminate things for the character, the main character, right? It's, they're going to point things out or they're going to be, or help the main character realize some things on their own. So like Ellis definitely does that. And um, he was just a lot of fun to write. But I do acknowledge that he's he could be
1: offensive. Yeah, but that was sort of the charm. too so, <laughs> it's frankly. kind of
0: I mean, and there is that, you know, Beck does think that he doesn't understand why Ellis has these women who just, he picks them up everywhere. They just love him yeah. and Beck doesn't really understand it. <laughs> but there is this, there is this, um, charm that Ellis has, right. This like sneaky little charm that he has with his offensiveness. And grandpa Mike was much the same way. Yeah. Like you just can't help, but like him. Like really right. Can't help but like, him. yeah, I mean, it was and so I just, I've really, you know, barreled over is a book that I worked very hard on and I'm, um, I can say that I like the characters so much like I really like all of them. Yeah. And there isn't any character in the book where I when I think back on it and I think I really wish I had written that differently. I mean it's it's a I don't want to say a no regret book because that's kind of, you know, that's kind of like saying you can never make anything any better and as an author you know, as writers, we know you can tweak something until the end of time, but by and large barreled over is what I would characterize as like one of my, like no regret books, right? Like, I don't really regret much about it. I like, I like it. I like the way that it, the decisions I made for the characters and, and how it, how it all came together.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's an extraordinary book. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I think everybody needs to read it cause it's, it's super fun. It's a super fun read. And, um, and it's one of those that you could sit down and like devour in a night. Well,
0: I'm glad that you think that, and I'm really yeah. flattered that you found the sex scene to be compelling. I mean, it's, um, I mean, I, one of your questions was, you know, sex scenes of that, of that I find really, um, other sex scenes and other books that I like or other authors that write really compelling sex scenes. And what I've realized is that I really like, um, you know, I can I tend to to edge toward like the hotter, more explicit books. Right. Okay. Those are the ones that I like. In fact, there's a very funny story where I was reading a book and I didn't know it was a clean romance when I bought it. And she's actually staying at this, this guy owns this bar and she's staying in like the back room of the bar. And they accidentally meet in the middle of the night because she's going to the bathroom and he's thirsty. So they're there in the middle of the night in this empty, you know, kitchen commercial kitchen bar. And they're just talking. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the perfect time to like put her on the bar and do her. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, there's not even kissing. And I like get, i like close the, you know, in the chapter. And I'm like, what the hell was that? (laughs) Right. And then I like go back and I read the bio and I'm like, Oh, this totally explains it now. Like this is a clean romance. (laughs) And, um, but I still enjoyed the book, but it just goes to show you that my mind immediately goes to all the different places we can have sex and when it should happen and like how it should happen. Um, But I really, so my, I tend to like more explicit books and I like books that are very, earthy. So I like the books that are, you know, that really delve into the senses. So the way things sound when you're having sex or the way things smell when you're Mm -hmm. having sex or the the way the texture of things, the way things feel, you know, like the the rasp of a fabric or the sound of a zipper or, you know, the smell of someone's sweat. Um, I really like the earthiness of that and like engaging all the senses. And I really try to do that with my sex scenes it's difficult, right? Cause it adds another layer, you know? Yeah. So yeah so I'm,
1: I'm mm-hmm. thinking of the whiskey barrel and sort of when she goes, like when, when her, her ass hits the whiskey barrel and she's like, Oh, that's a little scratchy. And that's a little, and then she's like, Oh, the hell with it! Like, we're just going to, you know, <laughs> and then, right. and all, you know, f- Caution to the wind, I will get splinters, you know. And yeah. then and then at the end when she's when they're done and she's kind of like, oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah, now maybe it's time to get off this thing, you know.
0: Right. I mean, it's just I I think about, I mean, I one of the best, I think, books that is just the sex is just amazing, like every scene and it's and it's built, you know, builds up to um every scene is that builds up to the culmination of a full-on sex scene but it's um it's called never sweeter it's by charlotte stein and it's it's especially interesting because um it's really a uh, a book about apologizing and regret so the the main character the heroine is bullied mercilessly by the guy who turns into being a hero and i'm not just talking about bullying i'm talking like where he endangers her life bullying hmm. and it's and it and it's i was when i started reading i was like i don't see how someone can really be redeemable right that's something yeah. that we talk about like who can be redeemed but that's a different part a different conversation other than this the sex scenes and the sex in this book is just amazing and it's a stream of consciousness kind of sex where the the sex talk in particular is maybe the best i've ever read oh and yeah, that's,
1: Dig up that book, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, wow.
0: sex talk is something where I guess if anything, I struggle with with a sex yeah. scene is probably the sex talk. Yeah, because I can yeah. only figure out so many ways to say, "Oh, tight and wet, and it feels good."
1: Yeah, yeah, it gets repetitive, and it and does. it always rings somewhat untrue.
0: It does. I mean, it and I I think it really can add a lot to a book if you do it the right way and you're and you're doing it in context and it feels organic. And I know that that word is overused, like, oh, it doesn't feel organic or it doesn't feel true to the scene. But sex talk can feel very forced Mm -hmm. and it can also be very repetitive, but it can it can also be sexy, even though if it's been said in other places or in other books. Um, but the, the sex talk in this book that I referenced is just crazy awesome.
1: I'm going to give that a look because I want to, I I do want to, I'd love to sort of look at examples of that because it is something I definitely struggle with as well. Um, yeah, and
0: in, and the, some of the earthier books like, you know, that really engage the senses with like smell and like sound. I mean, I think that... Um, I think Elizabeth Hoyt, she's a historical romance novel. She does a fabulous job with that. And um, a contemporary author, Adriana Anders, and I'm not sure if it's Anders or Anders, but she, um, her first series um, that she did, which had to do with like tattoo removal instead of actually a tattoo studio, which I thought was interesting. But her sex scenes are very earthy and they really just... You know, very much into I think for me it's very much smell and sound. I mean, that brings the whole experience to life.
1: Yeah. And
0: um, yeah. and so that you would ask about that. And so those were kind of my examples. And then of course I love Lisa Claypas. Um, and who doesn't really. But she doesn't, some of her books are not particularly explicit. And so I don't need, when I talk about like heat or a great sex scene, you know, this is something that it's important, I think, for all authors to think about is that you don't always have to use explicit language for it still to be like explicit or for it to still be incredibly hot or incredibly you know, um, steamy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I don't use, you know, cock or if I don't use pussy, or if I don't use, you know, like Mm -hmm. fuck, then I can't write a scene that's like really hot. And I don't think that
1: that's true. It's funny. I've been challenging myself to try and write my scenes without using the words, without using those words, just to, just to see if it's because, you know, they do get repetitive and you do get Mm -hmm. sort of sick of it. And also, um, Because sometimes it can pull you out a bit, you know, and I'm like, how can I do this without using those words? So, I mean, I have a friend
0: who is, um, those words are super offensive to her. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, and I don't, want to say that she's prudish i don't want to make any judgment about that but like she will read a book and it can be i mean it, it could be a reverse harem where there's like five people having sex and it's just this you know orgy right it could be anything like that and she's completely fine with it until you start dropping like you know the c words or pussy or you know right or fuck or any of those words like it it, it just becomes that pulls her out of it because in her mind, she's like, I don't refer to my own body parts that way. Right. And I'm like, right. So that's, that's, that's an interesting thought. And of course, you know, I've also read books too, where, um, the main character refers to her privates as like her garden. And yeah. I am like, is this meant to be funny? Because I don't know anybody who's called it the garden, but okay. I mean, maybe it's possible. <laughs> So I think we, you know, everybody has, I guess, their own words for their own body parts.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think in the context of a character calling her own, you know, her, her own body parts, a certain thing, I think I'm fine with that. But I think if the, if the author makes the choice that she, that the character, that there, that author is calling a body part a garden, for example, I don't know that I would be necessarily comfortable with that. But I think if the character is naming it, that's a that's a different story. Right.
0: I mean, and it does get into the idea of what they're comfortable with. I mean, in one of my books, the heroine doesn't really curse. She doesn't use curse words. She uses uses words other than curse words. So it makes sense that like even in in the way that she thinks about her own body parts or the way that she thinks about someone else is like, it might be more clinical terms, right? Right. It might be more like penis vagina versus like pussy and, you know, dick or whatever. Right. Um, it's just, I mean, I think that I, I love that you're doing this podcast because actually right, talking about sex and writing sex scenes is apparently one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I learned something new about myself today, but like, I, I just absolutely love talking about it. And I think that it's very disappointing to me if I read a book and there's not a sex scene. So I, there's that. Um, and, but I guess I shouldn't say just a sex scene, right? I don't want a sex scene that's cringeworthy or awful. Right. So um, yeah, that's kind of um, that's, that's my, my final say, like, I don't want to say all books should have sex in them, but I'm kind of leaning that direction. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So it's barreled over. It's book one of the Trinity Distillery series. I know you're working on book two I am. and you, and uh, you see this as a four book series. Four book I do. So I, it's the
0: three main owners of Trinity Distillery. And then, um, it just kind of, happened where i can't leave these other characters hanging they were in barreled over so it's ava grace's good friend mercy who's a songwriter and then kyle who um is her bodyguard and helps take care of ava grace's dad so it's it's kyle and mercy and i was um, wondering about that yeah i just (laughs) couldn't i just couldn't leave them kind of hanging and they just kind of took um root in my head um and wouldn't leave me alone i think one of the things that was that makes me want to write about kyle and mercy so alzheimer's is actually very rampant in my family so that's something that um so that i try i try to really bring causes that are important to me or things that i that i've experienced in my own life into into most of my books and so i try to give all of my characters at least one characteristic that i have in common with them so for example in my first book um, the hero is allergic to avocados. Well, I'm allergic to avocados. Oh, that's a bummer. So, yeah, it is. I know it was a bummer figuring it out too. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, in Alzheimer's, um, I have another book where breast cancer is, is, uh, is a subplot breast cancer is unfortunately in my family as well. Um, I have uh, my my duet, my novella duet Royal Mess has to do with organ donation, which I feel very passionately about. So um, I try to integrate something about myself and or what's important to me into most of my books. But with Kyle and Mercy, she's a songwriter and she she is is the premise of the book where we're going to start where we end Barreled Over is that she's getting married And she's getting, she's having trouble with her, her groom to be her husband to be. And so obviously she's not going to marry him, but, um, she ends up having as a songwriter, having like the worst case of writer's block. And she just doesn't really know where it's coming from, Mm -hmm. what's causing it. She can't figure out a way around it, you know? And I think as writers, we might not call it writer's block, but we all understand like having days where we feel more creative and versus not, or more motivated, or where words flow more easily than others, but mercy's it. And she's, she's in a bad place creatively. And Kyle is going to help inspire her. <laughs> I
1: love and it. And he's going to
0: inspire her with sex. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think
1: we should have, I'm just going to put this out there. Okay. I would like to have me. an Ellis novella.
0: Oh, really? Just,
1: just putting it out there. Tell, well, talk
0: to me about this. I mean, you think that he's, I mean, he's, he walks
1: that, he walks that line. As I'm getting older, I'm slightly obsessed with older people having robust sex lives. lives. Okay. Yes. And, um, because I think, and I mean, I'm nowhere near Alice's age. Um, although some days I feel like I am just you know being propelled towards it quickly um but but you know I I kind of am like get like more because you know I'm sort of looking at you know once you hit particularly for women too I think once you hit a certain age we are no longer kind of allowed to be sexual and it's sort of like you know you hit the I don't know let's randomly say 55 and suddenly like um you know, we just we just don't have sex anymore. And it's like, no, we are actually physically capable of having sex. We can continue to have sex. We can continue to enjoy sex. Well into our 90s, I guess, if we so choose. You know what I mean? And so and so the idea of having older couples is just so fascinating to me lately. And sort of like, you know, what that would look like. Um that's
0: a a really good point. I mean, obviously grandpa Mike set the stage for me that you can have sex at any age and a very active sex life. Right. And so there was, there's that. And I also too, I think that, you know, um, there are a lot of actresses that I consider to to be just absolutely set, you know, bombshells, incredibly sexy who are now reaching the age of 50. I mean, like we could do um, you know, I think Halle Berry is, and we're yeah. at like, I think that Sama Hayek is, and she's just, my God, she's amazing. I mean, yep. Jennifer Aniston, I mean, all of these yeah. women, which are just have, you know, still con- continue to be incredibly sexual beings. Um, you know, it's, I remember reading an article quite a few years ago, that was about countries that where their, their older, their, the aging population, was out was outpacing the younger generation so like italy is one of those japan japan is one of those russia is one of those countries and in those countries that people were that people who um adult movie makers porn um were shifting focus to create older porn like elder porn um and this was especially happening in japan so it was it was Porn that was that featured people of over 50 and over 60. So to open up a new audience. And I found it so intriguing and so interesting. And I think it's that's to your point about that's it. That's
1: fascinating, actually. Yeah, I'm gonna super, I'll Google that.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I don't think I think that the United States has a different attitude toward aging, quite yeah. frankly, than other countries. I think the way that we treat older people in this country makes that very clear um but i'm not sure uh, the the idea of ellis being older is certainly not an impediment to me in terms of writing uh, a novella perhaps but Mm -hmm. but what might make it difficult for me is just his um his offense how offensive he is (laughs) I guess so. I'm, I guess. I'm not, yeah. sh- I'm not sure I could like delve into that, into that, um, into uh, his mind too much. But my, you know, my husband tells me that I have the sense of humor of like a 13 year old boy.
1: And that's Alice's.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> so I'm like, so my, my, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be too much of a stretch.
1: Imagine if he met his match,
0: right? <laughs> Oh My gosh, who would be perfect? I mean, would it be someone who's equally sexually liberated? Or would it be someone who's actually never been sexually
1: liberated? Who's like, and maybe she's stern. And maybe like, you know, like, maybe he needs a stern hand, or maybe she's wilder than him.
0: Oh, my goodness. I can't I mean, I can't imagine who would be wilder than Ellis. I mean, it's just uh, he was so I mean, so much fun to write. And Another thing that was really is really fun about the Trinity series is the bourbon t-shirts.
1: Yeah. They all
0: work that they all wear and all of the slogans on the bourbon t-shirts. Like I've come up with them and most of them. I've come up with most of the bourbon slogans on my own. And Can I have do i have merchandise yeah i don't but you, you know should
1: make these t-shirts
0: i should make these t-shirts maybe but you should um, make these
1: t-shirts oh my god i mean i have
0: so i mean i have a list of probably 60 slogans for bourbon t-shirts that are that's sitting on my computer that i'm dribbling out through the rest of the trinity series oh, because you know funny. all the guys are just wear these bourbon shirts all the time And, um, and so that's another thing that I had a lot of fun with, with, um, with the, with the distillery series. So, I mean, I do, I do hope other readers have a similar feeling that you do when they're reading it. And I do think, I do really hope that when they're reading through the sex scenes, that they're excited by them, that it makes them physically excited because I, I, whenever someone tells me that, that makes me happy. Um, (laughs) and that they don't feel that they're repetitive. I mean, you know i have had a lot of um i interestingly like i have i don't know if this has happened to you but um i've had some reviews where you know um, i had a re- an audiobook review where it was porn in disguise
1: and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then,
0: and then some reviews where it's you know it's nothing but sex um or it's so explicit and someone should have warned me <laughs> ah! And so I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's happened to you, but I mean, I'd love to hear what, you know, you know, listen to the rest of your podcast and hear what other authors have experienced about, you know, I feel like there's either I'm not explicit enough for the readers who really like the explicit stuff, or I'm like too explicit for the readers who can't go to that level. And I'm not really sure there's, I seem to be missing the, the people like me who like it, fairly explicit, but it's not, you know, full on erotica, but it's also not this like closed door. I started to say like closed door bullshit, which I guess shows my feelings about
1: (laughs) closing the door on sex. That's (laughs) so funny because I really did. I mean, the only thing I could think of who would call you pornography straight up is somebody who doesn't read a lot of door open romance uh, you I mean know, I was, was very, certainly not really, erotica
0: yeah I mean I was really surprised too and I was just like wow and then of course you know my husband provides like comic relief in my life right and he's just like he's like that's the best review you could possibly get <laughs> <laughs> so um you know so that so I I think it's just this it's so interesting that there's this balance and I don't know I don't know what was too much right it's hard to find so you have to find like what's too much for your characters and what's too much for you as the writer and then you too much maybe for the for the reader, the reader as well having to yeah. think about like a, a lot of that in in your have all that in your head at the same time and that's probably why it gets a little crowded in there
1: yeah and it's super hard too because you know your our readers could be who 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 knows and so you know when I'm writing I'm writing to one reader but I don't know who's actually reading my book you know um, and and that could be somebody completely different from that who that one reader is the, that I'm writing to. Right. Uh, because if I tried to write to every reader, I would never get a book out.
0: I mean, you know, I just received a fan mail uh, a couple days ago from a man in his seventies who came across my books at his local library and thinks they're wonderful and is and has like, it kept him entertained through quarantine. That's, that's exactly, fabulous. That's exactly the the email that I received. And, um, and I just thought that was, that was great. I mean, that's really far reaching, right? I mean, yeah. first of all, to, we typically think that we're writing for a female audience. So there's yep. that. And then I think about what, what my age group might be, you know, is it, is it 20 to 50? Is it 30 to 40? Is it, you know, younger older it's its hard for me to know but i definitely don't know that that i ever imagined that i would be writing that one of my readers would be um, a man in his late 60s or 70s
1: that's why you need
0: ellis <laughs> <laughs> well you do can i just say you have a hard on for ellis don't you
1: oh no, i love him
0: okay well i mean look i can't I, i'm not going to rule it out because i mean now you are that you've planted the seed in my mind i mean like who knows what it's going to turn
1: into <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Jenna, where can people find you? Where can we find I, you?
0: I am on Facebook at Jenna Sutton author, which is also Instagram Jenna Sutton author, okay. Twitter at J Sutton author. And then I'm just my website, Jenna Sutton.com. Perfect. I have a newsletter. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, you can do that on my website. I, um, sometimes I run contests. Sometimes I don't, um, yeah. So that's where you can find me. I'm not as active on social media as I probably should be.
1: Yeah, same.
0: Yeah, I just yeah. of it's one of those things. So yeah. um, I, I so I pop up here and there. But if people do
1: contact me on social media, I am very responsive. Excellent. Jenna, thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun. I love so much you fun. Really I, I know, like this is the most fun I've had in days. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm
0: not gonna. I'm not gonna say like weeks or months because then that would make other people around me sad, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you need to get out more, but none of us can. So
0: <laughs> know. Well, isn't that the truth? Like, yeah, go take a vacation. Oh, you can't. <laughs> oh no,
1: we can't go anywhere. So Jenna, thank you so much. Thank and you. when you're ready for the next book to come out, l- give me a, give me a jingle. Let me know. Cause I would love to talk sex again. I mean,
0: apparently it's my, one of my favorite things to do. So I'll definitely do that. Awesome. All right. Thank awesome. you.
1: Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.